if you don't have any content such as a, po a podcast or you have a video channel or you have blog posts or you write articles or anything else, if you don't have any of this, what am I going to forward? Nothing. But if you have all of this content, you've armed me, your customer, with a, a great library of resources that I can share with anybody and everybody to help promote you. And that is, at the end of the day, the goal we want them to do. Welcome to CEO Brain Food. Every episode, entrepreneur, CEO, founder, and host Michael Langhout will bring you key insights, fresh perspectives, and proven tools you can apply to your business. Thought leaders and CEOs will be interviewed as we explore winning strategies for scaling a company, generating profits, and building lasting enterprise value. Make sure you listen all the way to the end of the episode to hear how you can download a free copy of Michael's Functional Team Scorecard. Here's Michael. Well, welcome back to uh, CEO Brain Food. And in this episode, it's a follow-up to the prior episode, part one. This is actually part two on our topic of customer obsession. And I have with me uh, Blaine Millett. And Blaine is uh, the president and chief advocate of WAM10, word of mouth on steroids to the 10th power. I referenced uh, Blaine's contact uh, in the prior uh, episode, and I'll mention it again here. You can find Blaine at WAM10.com. Blaine is a speaker, an author, a consultant uh, in the area, uh, really exclusively in the area of, of customer obsession. And Blaine is a friend of mine, uh, full disclosure, known Blaine for many years, and uh, he's a very special guy in my life. So I just wanted to bring you the listening audience, uh, what I feel is top talent in this area of customer obsession. So welcome, Blaine. Thank you, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here. If you, uh, and to, again, to the listening audience, if you haven't already listened to episode one, it would really be beneficial to do that because in that episode, we talk about customer obsession more around the, the, the strategy, the, the why and the what of it. What does it really mean? We focused on some of the cultural changes that happen when you become a customer-obsessed organization. Everyone out there seems to be fighting uh, commoditization. We all have competitors, right? So how are we, how are we different? How can we be different uh, than our competitors? And when we think about strategy, of course, that's really the topic is how are we different than our competitors? Because if we're not different, then we're, uh, we're in a race to the bottom on price and margin. So thinking about that, Blaine, what are some of the results that we can expect if, if a company were to take this on and really be involved in, in terms of strategy and taking this into their sort of their DNA um, and really, really obsessing over customers? And again, I, I want to go back and say, you know, look, everybody says that they're focused on the customer. Everybody loves the customer. If you asked any client out there or any company out there, they're going to, obviously, they're going to say, oh, yeah, we love our customers. But this is different. And again, going back to episode one, you're going to hear a lot about how that's different. But what are some of the results if we were to get into that? If I'm a CEO of a company and I say, all right, all right, Blaine, I'm going to take this on, you know, what, what can I expect out of it? Um, that's a really good question, Mike. Before I jump into that, though, let me address the thing you just talked about. Um, just for a second, which is, you're right, everybody 
says they love their customers. Who doesn't? They write them checks. So, of course, we, we love them. But, you know, I, I, I guess I would just um, suggest one thing is if you had me talk to your customers and I can ask them if they feel that they are obsessed over you and totally committed and, and that you're totally committed to them and you help them improve their life or their business, if you offer them an incredible wow type of experience and they trust you completely, what percentage of those customers do you feel would say yes to those questions? Most of the customers will not say yes because I talk to lots of customers and they don't say that. They come back and go, well, I don't know if I completely trust them. I don't know that they really give me a wow experience. I don't know that they are really improving my life. When, when I hear that back, those are the components of customer obsession. So if companies come back and say, well, we are, it's really easy to test this. Just let me talk to your customers and I can tell you really quickly what they think of you. Yeah. And so that's that's probably the the real acid test, if you will, for um, for an organization that says that is great. Let's go test it. And the only place to test it is talk to your customers. And that's what we would ask them. So that's usually one that gets rid of that question really quick is offering to do that. And they don't usually want to do that and find out those answers. But back to your comment about results. There's, uh, let me give you a few results of things that you could expect, uh, but the, the big one, absolutely the big kahuna here is differentiation. There's no question that when you're customer obsessed, you're simply viewed as being totally different and not just a little better, but head and shoulders different than your competition. I mean, you can ask yourself what results would improve if we were undeniably viewed by our customers as completely different from anyone else in our industry. And the answer is, is gets kind of obvious is there's lots of benefits of being differentiated to being differentiated. But the one thing I like companies to think about um, is to ask yourself, what are the pain points in your business that you want to solve? Maybe it's revenue, uh, profitability, maybe it's getting more customers, maybe having better customers or better employees or whatever it may be. These are all pain points that I hear from different executives all the time about things going on in their company. But regardless of what these may be, all of them can be lowered or eliminated, all of them, if you were viewed as being completely differentiated in your industry. So to me, that's why the key focus in terms of any organization should be to build long tail dis differentiation. And customer obsession is probably, um, and has been stated by some of the largest consulting firms in the world, is probably the biggest opportunity any company has today to build differentiation in their organization is to become customer obsessed. And when you're talking about some of those that are the largest in the world that are on this site, I know we've we've talked before, Blaine, about uh, Forrester Research and McKinsey and Deloitte and IBM and Oracle. And yeah, there's a long list and they all say the same thing. That if a company doesn't become customer obsessed in the near future, their risk of, of extinction goes way up because the customer is really looking for this uh, as a way to differentiate as from what you mentioned earlier is everybody's being commoditized every, everywhere, left and right. It doesn't matter whether you're a product or service. There's somebody showing up with something uh, better, faster, cheaper, um, more efficient, better quality than what you have. So how do you build that? long tail differentiation into your business. And they're saying that being customer obsessed and creating that uniqueness around the way you, you interact and treat your customers is the one 
the one differentiator that you can stand on that others can't copy easily. And in the last episode, we did talk, and I think you referenced um, a couple of examples of these would be what I would consider uh, markers out there. So I, I always love to see, well, who's doing this? I mean, I, I don't mind startup and taking, uh, you know, initiative on uncertain things, but this is, you know, this is not foggy. This is pretty clear. Right. We go out and we look at, uh, and I think the two that you mentioned, you told a great story about Ritz-Carlton and also about Zappos. So are there other companies besides the two that we referenced in the last episode, Blaine, that you might be able to point to that uh, where we could say, wow, look at that. And I mean, I, I even mentioned, uh, you know, Starbucks as one example, but in my own, in my own life, but uh, I'm, I'm sure I probably, if I thought about it, I probably could come up with a few others. Why do I like this company? But do you have any other examples uh, that would be outstanding out there that we could point to? Oh yeah, there's a, there, there's a, there's a number of them. Um, give you a few, maybe more household names um, and maybe just a quick piece about you know, why that would be the case. Think of one of my favorites is uh, Disney. Does anybody here think that Disney has the best rides, the best foods, the best gifts in, in Disneyland? Of course not, but it's the happiest place on earth. How do we correlate the happiest place on earth to having product that is substandard to what you could find at Six Flags in terms of rides or any other amusement park? Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you equate that? Well, it's the happiest place on earth because when you go there, they treat you so incredibly well. They obsess over every guest that shows up at Disneyland. They don't promise you the highest quality food or the best, fastest rides or anything else, but they promise you the happiest place on earth because when you're there, everybody is happy. So, you know, you think about those kinds of examples or take an Ace Hardware. You know, that's probably one of the uh, most significant ones even of recent is they were all but, you know, ready to throw dirt on top of the grave when they were, uh, you know, moving along here. They they were in severe trouble. They couldn't compete against big box of Lowe's and Home Depot and others. So what did they do? They decided that we are going to be the company that actually helps everybody in whatever they need with their home improvement or other pieces. And so they turned to a completely customer-obsessed model. So when you go into those stores, now you're actually going to get somebody who knows what they're doing. They can help you. They're looking forward to it. They'll deliver their barbecue that they put together for you. They do all of these things. And they have completely turned around the business and are actually doing incredibly well. And I heard um, recently from from something I was reading that they're, they're strategically actually putting Ace Hardware's next to Home Depot's and a big box stores, which you'd think would be suicide. That's an interesting. But to yeah, them, they're going, wow. when they don't tell you how to do it, just walk over next door and we'll make just sure. Just come here. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they build a whole model on customer obsession. So there's lots of these fun examples. Yeah, that's a great story. And I go back to Disney. I know uh, we, we talk about Disney with a lot in terms of examples that I use with clients um, activity, particularly when we're thinking about uh, purpose. What is your, you know, what is your purpose? Why are, why are you doing what you do? And, and, um, you know, it's interesting that you talk about happiness because Disney's purpose is delivering happiness. Exactly. When they talk about their purpose, anybody that they hire with their interviewing, their hiring process, their onboarding, their training, their retention, all of that with their employees, they all are totally focused on delivering happiness. So it's it's at the DNA, the foundational level of that company. You know, here's what they do. And I know taking my own family to Disney, which I've done a number of times, it's they never fail. Right. They're always 
they're always on. So how, Blaine, how does a company get started on this journey to customer obsession? What do they do? Where do they start? Well, you always start with strategy. Um, so uh, anything that you're going to do um, going forward with customer obsession starts at the very top level. It is a CEO, business owner, uh, top level decision. Uh, chapter, you know, they've got to essentially be the one that says this is where we're going. And, and one of my favorite chapters in the in the book you mentioned that's coming up is called "Burn the Ships." If uh, the CEO and executives are not willing title. willing to burn the ships and move forward, yeah. um, and there's no going back, then it won't work. Oh, that is so. That's such. That's so powerful. And you know, it's the commitment. It's that getting committed. That burning the ships. I love that. Yep. That's the first place to start. And then you build a strategy of what you really want to accomplish. What does it mean, you know, the organization? Uh, But the second piece would be education. Um, There does need to be education of leadership team, of the employees, of everybody inside the company and help them understand what customer obsession is really about. Because this isn't a project. This is a journey. This is a strategy in the DNA of the company. And so if you if the employees don't understand what what's going on, they don't understand why leadership is really doing this, it's literally going to be impossible for them to move forward forward and rally around it. So you once you have buy in, you, you create this education, you get everybody uh, pretty excited. And then we we start to introduce what um, I created, uh, uh, which is really a way to put it into a, a very uh, prescriptive, formulative way to to make it happen, and it's called the Remarkable Triangle. It's, uh, it's a very straightforward, simple way to, to view customer obsession, but it breaks it down into three critically important components that, that literally transform the company to be customer obsessed and create these marketing advocates. This is a, a rubric or a framework that we could look at to say, uh, here is kind of visually, I'm always a visual learner, so here's kind of visually what's happening. Right. Yeah, it's 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 definitely very visual because at the end of the day, you know, we mentioned this in the first piece. At the end of the day, the goal is not to just, um, you know, have some happier people. If the goal is to get these happier people telling other people they should go yeah. work with your company. Right. Mm-hmm. So always our end goal is if we if we can empower them and there's the three cr- critical components of this triangle is if we can empower them to do all of these three, it gives it gives your audience of customers and partners and prospects and, and everybody else the uh, the ammunition, if you will, to go out and tell other people, boy, you need to go work with this company. This this is awesome. That's that's what it's really designed for. Well, I can't wait to hear Blaine. So tell me about the talk to me. Tell me about this remarkable triangle. Is this like a uh, triangle? Is this like a Venn diagram or something? Yeah, yeah it's a triangle. And, uh, it's a triangle. Okay. And it's it's literally got three uh, three parts to it. You know, obviously in a podcast to uh, to draw it out, I love to draw this out, but we can't do that. So, uh, Well, is it, is, is, it, uh, is it drawn out? Do you see it on your website? Do you see it anywhere? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go to the website. and It'll be in the book. Yeah, and then you can see a, actually one of the tabs on the website is the Remarkable Triangle. So you can uh, click on that and see it very, very clearly. That's WAM10.com, and there's a Remarkable Triangle tab there. So Right. And so the three points of the triangle are simple. One is trust. The very top pinnacle point of the uh, triangle is trust. The, the uh, bottom two corners of the triangle are customer experience and what we call consistently helping your audience. So if if you would like to, um, Mike, I'd be happy to 
you know, talk a little bit about each one of those three and. Yeah, I think so. I think it, you know, I, I got to tell you, uh, Blaine, that, that I can relate to all three of these, but the mostly, frankly, for, in, from my perspective, the trust part of it is, is so critical. And, but I look at trust from the standpoint of trust on the leadership team, trust a vulnerable trust being, you know, just being open and, and so on. I think your trust that you're talking about here maybe is a little different. Yes. Um, what is this trust that you're talking about? Yeah. So the first point, you know, as I mentioned, is trust. And it's the one I believe is kind of the holy grail of the whole customer obsession model. And the reason I say that is that there is no one, and I mean no one on the planet, that will ever advocate for you or be your marketing agent if they don't trust you. So without trust, uh, it's the critical ingredient to get everybody to talk about you. No one talks about somebody they don't trust. Mm-hmm. So that's why I believe it's it's really the uh, the critical um, component that goes uh, that goes in the triangle. And if you think about uh, trust and what is trust, well, you know, from my perspective, it is actually pretty prescriptive. Um, you can actually build trust in a very prescriptive way. And I, we created something years ago, actually, that is getting uh, far, far more attention today than even it was when we first started, which is called a promises architecture. And this promises architecture is is a, a diagram, again, that basically says everything starts with a promise. If you make a promise to somebody, um, for example, a customer, and you keep it, that's awesome. That is, a, that is the first component to building trust. If you don't keep your promise, then you end up uh, not really having an opportunity to build trust. Somebody who does not keep their promises does not have a chance to build trust. So the core of this promises architecture starts with, do you keep the promises you make? And I go through, for example, and, and a fun exercise for a company can be doing a promise inventory. And this is um, a process where we actually look at what are the promises your organization and your employees are making. And then we look at, well, how many of those did we keep? So something as simple as somebody inside your call center and they take a call and they go, uh, yes, uh, okay, well, we'll get, um, we'll get right back to you. What did that mean? To the customer, they're going, oh, great, they're going to call me right back. They'll call me back within the hour. And you call them the next day. From their perspective, you violated that promise. You did not keep that promise and therefore didn't move yourself further up to building any trust. So we can actually look at a promise inventory inside of an organization and say, okay, so how many promises in the organization are being kept? And there's implied promises as well as explicit promises. That's interesting. So I've got this little meter idea in my head where the trust is moving. The trust meter is kind of going up and it's wavering and maybe dropping a little bit and then coming back up again and then dropping a little bit. Exactly. Well, you know, it's the old thing, and maybe, you know, hopefully I can say this on your podcast, but it's like my, my dad used to always say, for all the attaboys you earned, you need about 100 attaboys because every one, aw, shit, wiped out all 100 attaboys, right? <laughs> That's right. Well, that gets, you know, absolutely, Blaine, and I'll tell you, that gets to the to the point that I've made a number of times on my in my work with clients, and I say this a lot, is, you know, it, and we all know this, it takes um, a lifetime to build it or a long time to build it. Right. It takes a lot of consistency to build it and it, and it, and you can, you can destroy it in a nanosecond. Right. It can just go away quickly. So that trust meter can drop if you're sitting there waiting for that phone to ring and it's days and days and pretty soon you just give up. I, I can't tell you how many times I've thought about 
you know, I'm waiting, I'm waiting for a response when someone said, I'll get right back to you. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Don't hold your breath. If I can interject here, um, that is, is I have found is critically important. And one thing that I find literally, um, every company I talk to is, is not focused on, and that is customer anxiety. This to me is one of the deadliest situations in every business. And what I mean by that? Customer anxiety. That's a new thing. I've not, I've not heard of that. But customer anxiety. What does that mean? See, you haven't talked to me for so long. You, you know, no. <laughs> it's been a little while, Blade. I got to tell you, you're on to something new here. Yeah, is this a chapter title for it, you? <laughs> it, it, it is. And it's one that um, when I've given speeches and bring it up, everybody perks up and goes, wait a minute, wait, just what you did. What is that? What is that? Right, exactly. And I call it one of the deadliest situations because what I mean by it is we go about creating um, anxious customers that are stressed out. They're not happy. Uh, and businesses, you know. Wait they, a minute. We create that? We create that as a company. Oh, geez. So just think about That's... that example <laughs> that we went through with, okay, I'll get right back to you. What did you just create with your customer? An anxiety. Yeah, an anxiety. Sure. I'm anxious. When are they calling me back? Is it today? Is it tomorrow? Is it an hour? Is it a half? Every interaction that you have with an organization, you know, you don't keep that promise where you're saying, this is what I'm going to do and I'm, and I'm going to make sure and, and complete it. Anytime an organization is not doing that, they are brewing massive customer anxiety inside the organization. And so when a customer becomes anxious, do you think that customer is happy at that point? Do you think that is a customer that is going to be raving about you? Do you think that's Probably a customer <laughs> that's going to even enjoy working with you? They're anxious. So customer anxiety is one of the biggest, to me, one of the biggest diseases almost every company has, is, and they create themselves um, just by the way that they um, operate. That makes so uh, so much uh, sense that when you talk about that and coining that phrase, customer anxiety, I've never heard of that before. That's But it's true. I know what it means. Well, I came up with that. That's why you haven't heard it. Way to go. Good. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got the three, uh, the three-legged stool here, the three, the three corners of the triangle. You've got trust. You've got customer experience. So the customer experience side. So the, cust the trust side is all about being very prescriptive about keeping your promises and, and building, building that level of trust and, and ways to do that. But the customer experience side, so the, the first book that we wrote was all about customer experience. And that, that book was called Creating and Delivering Totally Awesome Customer Experiences. And so this whole section on customer experiences was covered in that first book at, at, at very, very detailed levels. And that process is is more alive and valid today than it, it was even when we wrote it over a decade ago. And so that was essentially how do you build a very, very specific business process around delivering uh, a totally awesome, incredible, amazing um, uh, customer experience all the time to your customers. And, re and removing what we coined a phrase, since we're talking about coined phrases, the other phrase that people tended to like was um, eliminating random acts of excellence and chaos. Mm. And that really meant today I get to call in and I get happy Harry the employee. Tomorrow I get sad Sally. What am I going to get the next day? That creates incredible anxiety in a customer when I don't know what's going to happen. And so random acts of being happy, really happy one day and random acts of being really miserable the next day cause customer defection. 
So anyway, the whole that whole second sec- section there on customer experiences is how do you create these experiences inside your company that your your customers love and your employees love to deliver. So that's the the um, uh, second component of the triangle. And then the third one and the third piece is what we call consistently helping your audience. And this is an area I find most companies do very little, if anything, in, yet becomes more and more important to your customers. And so what I mean by that, um, and it's your whole audience, not just customers, but prospects and partners and everybody else, is this is the area where you go out of your way and you provide things like what Mike, Mike, what you're doing right here. This fits into the category of consistently helping your audience. You're doing podcasts, which is which is awesome, oh, yeah. and you're doing it with really rich, deep content. This is helpful. This is what we would consider yeah. in this third point of the pyramid as being very helpful to your audience. This is a perfect example of it. And so, well, thank you for that, Blaine. And that's really true. I mean, I, I thought a lot about why do I want to do a podcast and why do I want to do a newsletter and you just said it. I mean, it's, I, I want to be, um, I want to be a resource for the very, very best material in any category that I'm working on, um, for my clients. Right. And so, and, and, and actually for, for anyone, they don't have to be a client. I mean, people that are listening are not necessarily clients, all of them, but, but yeah, that's exactly, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a desire to, to help them to be a resource to, in a way, pay it forward, um, and to make them aware of the cutting edge. I mean, here, I'm I'm learning from you today, just listening, uh, Blaine, on this uh, this whole concept about customer obsession. But yeah, going ahead and, and helping the audience, uh, please proceed. That's this is interesting uh, material. So when you're talking about you know helping, like what you're doing, you know, as we mentioned with the podcast, let me give you the bottom line core reason. Besides, you want to be able to help them improve their life and their business. If you're producing content, let's say somebody is talking to another executive, and they go, you know you know, you really need to meet this guy, Mike. And they go, well, okay, so tell me about Mike. Well, he's somebody I trust and and I love working with him. He does all these great things for us and he's, he's, you know, cool guy. But you know what? He does this podcast series. Let me forward you, keyword here, forward you the link to his podcast and you can start checking him out on your own. Mm. This is what we talk about with, you know, at the very beginning, which is, Stop marketing because your customers yeah. are dying to do it for you. I just marketed for you, right? Let's you let's, let's cut this really to the chase. I just <laughs> marketed for Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Because I just told this person to go check out your podcast. Well, if you don't have any content, you know, we use content in, in a general term. If you don't have any content such as a, po- a podcast or you have a video channel or you have blog posts or you write articles or Anything else, if you don't have any of this, what am I going to forward? Nothing. But if you have all of this content, you've armed me, your customer, with a, a great library of resources that I can share with anybody and everybody to help promote you. And that is, at the end of the day, the goal we want them to do. That's the goal. That's the whole thing. So we are helping them, but we're also arming them with something that they could share. I've got a final question before we wind this down, uh, Blaine, and I, I just am so grateful that you, uh, you know, that you're that you're sharing these thoughts because, um, you know, honestly, uh, the, the folks that are listening, I don't know, I, I I notice my clients when they come, they're always they're always stuck in the weeds, you know, they're down, they're doing stuff, they're they're just churning the wheel, 
And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really working hard for my clients to help them gain freedom. I, I you know, I want to, I want to help them, um, you know, make money, generate cash. So often they're, particularly those that are scaling, scaling a company just sucks cash. I mean, it's just amazing how fast you can burn it. So cash is always a constraint, a, a resource that's constrained. So making money, generating cash, two different, very different things. And, uh, and increasing enterprise value. And, and boy, what a better way to do that than uh, being obsessed with customer. But before we, we wind down here, um, I had one question. This is about finding your core customer. These are customers that are going to pay your price, that are not arguing with you about price all the time. You're moving way beyond what would be considered a, a commodity. You're looking for those companies that really, really fit what you do best. And so part of that is understanding what you do best. You've got to know that. How do you find them? And, and so many companies have this big database of companies that they're just doing work for and they're stuck and their margins are low and they're, uh, they're not able to generate the cash and make the money that they need to. The ones that are really, really super clear about their core customer seem to be doing so much better. And they're able to deliver what they, that special sauce, that thing that they do the best. They're able to deliver that so efficiently. How do you develop that? I mean, I've got a process that I use for developing core customer, but I'm just kind of curious about yours. Yeah, that's a great question, Mike. And it is one that every company needs to address back in, in the strategic side. When we started talking about um, everything starts with strategy, this is one of the yeah, components yeah, yeah. that starts with strategy. But I would give you, a, you know, one of my favorite phrases I use, which is, not all money is good money. And oh yeah, the, I that right. The point of that means not serving the wrong customers. You can spend an exorbitant amount of money serving the wrong people. And at the end of the day, here's what happens. Here's here's the piece that, that to me is the tipping point to why you you never want to do it and then I, I can give you some some points on on how I go about doing that. But at the end of the day, let's say um, you know you're you're serving a customer that you're not really geared up to serve. You're not your experience isn't one that they're really excited about. Um, your processes are designed around um, something different than the way you serve this particular customer. At the end of the day, what do you think this customer is going to say to everybody else out in the market? They're going to say you suck. Yeah, they're not going to be certainly. Yeah, they're not going to be happy about it. Right? They're not going to be an advocate. They're not going to be anywhere close to, to somebody that would help you, but yet what they're going to do is erode you. So when you think about having the wrong customers and serving the wrong customers, they can do you far more damage than if you just said, we don't want any of your money. In fact, go see Joe down the street because Joe will take your money and get rid of them because they will do you far more damage in the marketplace and you'll never get that return back because now they're impacting far more people. The leverage is working negatively against you. If everybody thought about that ahead of time with customers, can whittle that down um, pretty quickly because they go, oh my gosh, these people are probably saying bad things about us. Then why are we serving those people? Let's move them on and move them to our competitors. My favorite approach is why don't we give all the people we don't want to serve and we're not geared to serve to our competitors and let's go steal all the ones that we are geared to serve. That would be a good strategy. It actually, that's, that's a great, that's a great point. And it's one that I remember as a young buck rookie sales guy. Uh, and I had a crusty old boss that was just so aware of kind of what we're talking about right now. 
that we were always trying to add value and create higher margin and so on. And, and that meant adding some complexity to the, to the products that we were, you know, making and marketing and selling and so on. It was in the packaging business. But I had a competitor here, and it was actually here in, in the Seattle area, which is to our listeners, this is where we're located in the Pacific Northwest. And I had a competitor <laughs> that interestingly no longer exists. They went out of business, but they were known for their commodity approach and just uh, in the paper business, we called it brown and round. It was uh, just, you know, make it and ship it. Um, they had the lowest prices uh, in the world and, um, and you know, any any professional buyer out there that wanted that was sensitive to price and really you know wanted to to get the lowest possible price they would get this particular uh, this particular supplier and try to leverage that supplier against everybody else um i caught onto that pretty quickly and and anytime i would have a company come to me and say hey you know i'd like to have you uh, give us a quote on this well first of all that's not how i operated so i would generally move move away from a client like that but i would generally if 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 i felt so motivated i would i would push them over to this other competitor and the thinking there was uh you know hey if we could fill up their capacity with low priced business that takes them out of the market effectively and uh, and it opens it up for uh, us to do a better job and and uh, in in terms of servicing our customers who we who we knew knew uh, loved and trusted and respected and uh, and hoped that we would get the same treatment coming back from them so 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 we go through um like and do that by what we call um you know doing a, a strategic persona identification exercise mm, yeah and that's where we really identify, you know, what are the, the two or three, maybe not more than five personas of customers that you are really going to focus on and serve. And so these are people that not only are your existing customers, but it, you also may look at it and say, okay, what would be, maybe there's a segment of the market we really want to go after. And if we turned up the, you know, our whole customer obsession model, we could probably own that segment, but we don't really do much in that segment today. That would be a persona you'd want to put on your list to go after. Absolutely. So we define them in very, very, very um, great detail of who they are, you know, not only where they work and what they do, but, you know, what do they drive? What do they like to buy? What, What is their life about? Down to the actual uh, psychographic and demographic. Exactly. Uh, what, what, how much money do they make? How old are they? What gender are they? Where do they live? Uh, what do they like? What kind of, you know, where do they eat? Exactly. What, you, know, you, want to, you want as much detail on that as you possibly can get because you're going to be creating your whole sort of experience model to fit that particular. And think about your content. Let's say you're doing podcasts and you decided that one of your audience is an audience that is, um, senior people inside of an organization. Well, guess what? You don't think you're going to do a lot of podcasts talking about the latest uh, millennial trends, right? Yeah. How do you How do you write code? Exactly. We're going to We're going to write. <laughs> right. We're going to do a podcast that is going to be specifically focused on somebody yeah. who's more senior in an executive position, and we know what their issues and what their challenges and and where they want to go. I mean, that's that's how we would tailor our content in addition to our experience and in addition to how we, you know, make promises to them. That's why we would tailor everything towards that type of persona. That, that's how you build it in. So wrapping up here, um, I, I guess I'm, I'm kind of thinking about my customer, my core customer, and I've got a pretty clear picture. I've been through the persona exercise that you're talking about, and I, and I know and I'm hopeful that many that are listening fit that. Um, they're CEOs of companies. Um, you know, they've got 25, 30 employees or more. 
15, 20 million in revenue up to maybe two or 300 million or more in revenue. Uh, they're frustrated. They're stuck. They want to grow, but can't. They don't know why. Uh, they're short on cash. They're looking for greater accountability all the way across. And as we're talking to these kinds of, uh, of leaders, they're CEO entrepreneurs, usually founders, Blaine, that's who, that's who is, is, is in this mix that we're looking at. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know what? They're busy. Um, they're listening to this podcast. If they've made it this far, hey, congratulations. That's great. But they're, they might say, you know, that's great, but I got to get back to work. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't have, I don't have time for this. I mean, you know, what's the one thing that you could leave with them as a concluding thought that might help them better appreciate the need for this? Well, I guess the one thing I would I usually say in response to what you were just describing, and maybe it's a, a couple answers to it, but um, one that uh, I describe is what you just said is exactly what all of your competitors just said. If you ever want to choose to be completely differentiated in their eyes and somebody who stands alone ahead of your competition, you need to make that decision that says, I am going to do something different tomorrow and we are going to change who we are because we're going to be viewed as somebody completely and truly different than any of our competitors because we know that's going to drive us more revenue. It's going to drive us more efficiency. It's going to give us more employees, going to get us better employees. It's going to change our culture to one that is going to dominate. If you, if you, if you see that, then you go, oh, well, if I do this and the pack is over there, guess what I get? Mm. And, and, and I can tell you, you know, you mentioned things like value of the business. I can give you firsthand examples where somebody is doing, has done this and they sold their business and said, there's no question I made more money selling my business because we were more customer obsessed and did more things in, in this area than our competitors did. It, it got me more money. So at the end of the day, it's up to this, you know, to me, to the executive to say, Am I okay swimming in the pool of fish with everybody else? Or am I finally at a point where I go, I really want to be the standout in my industry and I want to separate myself from the pack? Until that decision gets made, guess what happens? Nothing. Well, you're you're back into, you know, churning the wheels through the through the mud puddle. Right. Kind of stuck. Nobody's got an extra twenty hours, Mike. I mean, there's nobody yeah, who's got right. an extra twenty hours. No, they're all they're all busy. They're all full. Their schedules are full, um, and so it's it's what we're doing here, folks, is we're trying to turn the head a little bit towards this as a as a beacon, as a light out there that is uh, a light of hope. That you know, you you definitely, if you can, you're 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 going to be paying great dividends if you uh, begin the journey of customer obsession. Um, and so, Blaine, I, I just want to tell you, thank you so much uh, for sharing your thoughts with me today and also with the audience uh, that we've got. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, how, how can folks get a hold of you? Uh, well, as you mentioned before, you, they can go to my website. That's probably the, the easy one-stop one stop shop, so to speak, because it's got phone numbers and emails and everything on there if anybody wants to uh, connect. Um, you know, the one thing is, is part of my model I've done for years is I'm more than happy to uh, invest the time, grab a cup of coffee with somebody or have a conversation if they're out of state um, and just, you know, understand where they are and share some thoughts with them and uh, see if we can be helpful in, in any way or shape or form. 
Well, that's great. And by the way, and back to it, that's the WOM10, W-O-M-10, the number 10, dot com. And again, thanks, Blaine. And uh, thank you so much for listening today uh, to the CEO Brain Food Podcast. It's been a pleasure uh, to introduce you to my good uh, friend and colleague, uh, uh, Blaine Millett, on the, on the subject of uh, customer obsession. Um, we look forward to the next uh, episode. We're going to be talking about creating a living culture uh, by improving your leadership, more, more moving it more into authenticity. So thank you again. And until next time, uh, we'll be talking with you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of CEO Brain Food. If you're enjoying the content of these episodes and are ready to get your leadership team aligned so you can scale effectively, we invite you to download Michael's newest resource, the Functional Team Scorecard. This scorecard will help you establish role clarity and accountability on the senior leadership team, engage your leadership team in the financials of the business, and align and synchronize your team around a critical number. Download your free copy today at langhoutinternational.com forward slash scorecard or click on the link in the show notes. Tune in next Monday for another compelling episode of CEO Brain Food.